Welcome to Creativity Unleashed, the podcast for creatives by creatives. Our guest today, NFL star Charlie Young, is a lot of amazing things. He was number one draft choice for the Philadelphia Eagles, NFC Rookie of the Year, consensus All-American on the USC National Championship football team, first team All-Pro, and he led the league in receptions. Charlie's had a significant impact on the NFL, having played in two Super Bowls and leaving his mark on such teams as the Eagles, the Los Angeles Rams, the San Francisco 49ers, and the Seattle Seahawks. On top of everything, he's also a dear friend and mentor. In this episode of Creativity Unleashed, Charlie and I discuss how to stay focused, the importance of mentorship, and what it means to be great. I'm so excited today to introduce the one and only Charlie Edward Young. Charlie Young, you know, I consider a friend, a mentor, uh, someone who whispers words of wisdom into my ear and someone I met at a time when, uh, you know, I was at at that time, the height of my career and, and uh, maybe just needed needed to meet him at the time that I did. And I, I don't believe in uh, coincidences. I believe everything happens for a reason. So before I get into all the exciting accolades, I want to introduce uh, Mr. Charlie Young. Charlie, thank you for being here. It is a uh, pleasure, and the pleasure is all mine. And uh, uh, I am for- so fortunate just to be here. And I am so thankful that you took the time to uh, do this. Uh, I don't know where this will go. I don't know uh, how impactful this will be, but it will be a pleasure. Thank you, sir. So I want to go back to a time when we met. Uh, I was in California at that time, place I love to be next to the ocean. And, you know, uh, I, I, I went to L.A. with an open heart. I didn't know where that was going to go. And we were premiering our movie, The Cuban, starring Luke Gossett Jr., which was a very personal project and, you know, dealing with all the hoopla around it and the premiere and all that. I had, like you had said, a lot on my mind. And uh, it was the morning after the premiere, if I remember correctly, and I was sitting having breakfast and I look up and and it was like, you know, someone who's, I mean, obviously in stature, big man, but also larger than life, the the energy and uh and there was a connection there and you know i didn't recognize you at the time i didn't know even after you introduced yourself i had no idea you know that i was in the presence of greatness uh but as i got to know you um you know over the past little while i realized how much of a philosopher you are uh, you, you you know you have this academic mind but you're also a champion at you know the i guess the career path that you took being an all-star football player and you know, I'll get into all that uh, soon, but I, I just want to, if you could, please recount the the moment that we met and uh, and share that story with uh, with our listeners. All right, uh, a group of us was meeting together. We hadn't seen some of us hadn't seen each other for over fifty years, and we played for the University of Southern California, and we had won the national championship. We were undefeated, untested, and untied. At that time, we beat people for just scheduling us. And so 
that just the backdrop. And as I began to paint the picture on the canvas of time, we all had gotten together and we were doing a documentary at the same time you were doing yours. And we met at the same place that you had uh, chosen to stay. Some people call that fortuitous. Uh, I call that divine uh, appointment. And so uh, we were there and, and they wanted to know how did we, uh, a group of athletes, overcome the, as the guy stated, how did we overcome racism and, and come together as a unit and win the national championship? And so that was the backdrop for that documentary. And so, uh, I like to have breakfast and, and early in the morning, I like to get up and, and have breakfast. In the process, I met some outstanding people. I met the owner of the, uh, uh, hotel. I met his family. We chit chatted and we had a great time. I came in again and I was uh, having breakfast. I was sitting on the south end of the uh, restaurant at the counter. And I looked over and there was a guy. He, he looked a little disheveled. He looked like there was a lot <laughs> on his mind and uh, uh, looked like he was going through something. I don't know what it was. And, and me being an inquisitive individual, uh, I went over there and uh, I don't know what I said. Uh, it appeared that he was eating healthy. He had appeared that he had got very little sleep. He was sitting on the, on the, the window side. It was a small table, probably a table for two. And he was by the window. And, uh, most of the time a person get a place like that, they are reflecting. And so I took the initiative and, uh, uh, went over there and the rest is history. That's it. And I'm grateful. I'm grateful you did. Uh, you know, it was, uh, I don't know what it was at that time in my life, but I kept getting these signs and, and things were, were coming together. And, and, uh, that was a pivotal moment, uh, in my life for sure. So I appreciate our friendship and, and, uh, and the wisdom that you share. You know, you, you've been called a purveyor of hope and you certainly live up to that, uh, to that label, we'll call it. But, uh, I want to, I want to go back into the time machine a bit. And, you know, at a time you were at, uh, Southern Cal University of Southern California. Yes. You were number one draft choice for the Philadelphia Eagles. Mm -hmm. And I recently, I, I watched some of the tapes and I've seen you play and you had this look of determination. So it wasn't just, you know, what you were achieving physically. There was something going on in your mind. Could you talk to us a little bit about what you were feeling at the time when you were drafted? Uh, because you were, you were young. Sergio, look at you, Sergio. You, you you're going deep. <laughs> <laughs> wait a minute. I, wait a minute. Let you me had the eye scuba, of the tiger, man. <laughs> let me put my scuba gear on so, <laughs> so I can go down there. Okay, okay, that's 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 a good one. Now you are looking for some pearls. Let's 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 look at that. When I went to the University of Southern California. I went there for a purpose. 
And that purpose is, at the time, uh, I went to the University of Southern California because great players went there. Great players. And they always would tell me, iron sharpens iron. If you want to be great, you have to be around great people. And, and I went there. And I went there. Uh, I had, when I went to college, I had, we'll say, a three-pronged attack. The number one is I wanted to be the first tight end in the history of the NCAA to win the Heisman Trophy. And that was determination. That was uh, inspiration. That was an imagination. And I knew that SC at the time, they had Heisman Trophy winners. They had the last, the one I saw the most was a guy named O.J. Simpson. He was a Heisman Trophy winner, and I wanted to be a Heisman Trophy winner. And so I went there. That's reason number one. Reason number two is because I wanted to be or destroy that myth of the quote-unquote the dumb black jock. That's, at, that, at that time, that was there. And it was it was propaganda. It was being prophesied that we were that type of thing because we weren't supposed to go to college. We wasn't, especially a private institution like the University of Southern California, which was started in 1880 in Los Angeles. And it was, it had a strong and long history and legacy of great people going there. Most people don't realize that the first All-American, football All-American at the University of Southern California was a black man. His name was Bryce Taylor, and he only had one hand. In 1925, can you imagine how great that individual was? How determined that individual was? And wow, it was a legacy in which because of him, I had the opportunity. Then the question is, what are you going to do with that opportunity? And so that was one. And the other one, because uh, SC had tremendous alumni and they were always on television and they had that marketing ability. You see, if you're not on television, you're not being marketed. If you're not being marketed, then people don't see you. And then if they don't see you, then a lot of times there's no, what they call it, monetizations. And so that's why. And I went there. And when I got there, I was surrounded with great people. And these people, they helped polish me. You know, I was rough. As some, I heard somebody say this morning, I was a diamond in the rough. <laughs> yeah, see, I was a diamond. Sometimes it takes pressure to pressure to, to to refine that diamond. And I was under a whole bunch of pressure. I was the first one in my family to go to college. Wow. The first one. Not just a college. And now I'm thrown into a prestigious worldwide college. And it was conservative. So that's the backdrop. And given the time that, that you know, that was like, we'll call it the early 70s, there was a socio-political climate at the time. Um, did you have the support that you feel that you needed? Because you obviously, 
achieved incredible heights in 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 the sports arena in in football i mean you know you you played in three super bowls you played professional football for 13 years for four major teams um one of the reasons i wanted to start this podcast is to give information to the next generation the emerging artists out there that don't have the coaches mm -hmm. don't have the mentors and don't have the team around them they think that they have to achieve it all on their own and i include myself in, in that group in sports in sports you have wait a minute wait a minute i, I heard something wait wait a minute wait a minute un momento un momento un momento <laughs> what did you say about you you include yourself in what in that group of of artists that um didn't grow up in a tradition of of having a team or a mentor a coach an agent, you know, uh, so my question is, did you have that at that time in, in when you were drafted, did you have, okay. you know? Yeah. Okay. Let me put a semicolon there. Cause I have to, I have to uh, pause you for a second. You see, Sergio, you have never been alone. See, but you didn't know it. If you really look back over your life, if you really look back over your life, and seeing all the challenges that you've gone through and all the things that you have done, that was to mold you, to shape you, to define you, to define you, to bring the greatness out of you. I told you that there was a movie called The Lion King. <laughs> In this movie, The Lion King, I think at that table, at that table, I told you, had you ever seen that movie? It's a great film. And you said, great yeah. Film. He says, he says, one of my, one of my, I think he said, it was one of my best films. I love that movie. I asked you, who did you identify with? A lot of people have seen that movie. A lot of people have not taken the time to analyze that movie. A lot of people have not did the analyticals or the, or the term they use when they gather data, when they grab, got data, and they get this data, and they analyze that data. You have not taken the time. And so that whole time that I met you was to take that data and remind you of who you were, to remind you. You're not that type of person that, you know, you this and you that. There's greatness in you. You, uh, you think I'm a, a, a great individual. I mean, all those great sayings that you said, and use all those great words. And, but I'm not really. What I am is, is, uh, I am a two things I am. Uh, more than that, but, uh, I am a servant leader and I am a situational leader. I take a situation and if the situation needs, then I step to the front. If it doesn't, then I serve. And as I look at you, and I saw the greatness in you, and greatness is defined by overcoming great obstacles. Like I told you, uh, I made a mistake, and I went to class at school. <laughs> I, I I love school. And in, in those schools, I, for some reason, I was gravitated toward history. 
And in history, they told the story of the United States and how it, uh, I don't know how you're going to feel about this, I mean, because you came from the same uh, mother, uh, the British Empire. The United States uh, fought for so-called independence. And they fought against, we'll call it 13 colonies. That's as the story goes. 13 colonies overthrew the shackle of the British Empire. A nation where the sun never set. A nation that controlled the seas. A nation that controlled all of the mercantile, all of the economics, because whoever controls the 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 trade routes, they control it. This little 13, 13 colonies went up against that great nation. And in order to do that, you had to go through a lot of trials and tribulation. And sometimes you get to, uh, uh, we'll call it, your back may be up against the wall. You don't know how you're going to do. You may be at the, at the last inch. And then you begin to realize that you need help. And see, most people, they don't realize that God is always there. And uh, when they get to that point, when they know they can't do it, then that's when they turn to God. As the story goes, and see, I'm a great storyteller. I don't use uh, hyperbole or anything like that. The story goes that George Washington, uh, during the winter, went into a place called Valley Forge. And to to spend the winter there, he was at his wit's end. The men there were on the verge of deserting. They couldn't pay him. And they didn't have anything. They had to be there. And they were thinking about, thinking about leaving and surrendering. In the early books, it tells the story that George Washington went off alone. And as he went off alone, he found the spot and he began to pray. They, they took that out of the books. They took that out of the history books. Now you don't see that, but he went and he prayed and he asked God for guidance. And as God gave him that guidance, we see the story where he gets up, he's rejuvenated, his strength is renewed, and he goes back across to Delaware, and and they have this great image of him standing tall and all of that. You know, that's hyperbole. And he goes across. And when he goes across, then he wins victory after victory after victory. Everybody, I don't care who you are, needs a word of encouragement. Yes. And at that time, that's when I met you. And from that moment on, and George and George Washington went from that moment and he became great then. He wasn't great before that. He was just an, another person they put in charge to do the fighting. But after that, he became great. He didn't become great until he overcome the great obstacles and the great trials. And so most people don't realize that those trials come to bring out the greatness in them. But most people, because they don't know that, they fold up and collapse like a Kmart deck chair. That is so true. And and when we met, you know, none of us could have predicted that we'd be in the winter season uh, with the pandemic, something that, you know, I mean, none of us ever imagined. 
would happen. And, and yet here we are, you know, in, in some ways we could admit that even though there, we're in the face of tragedy, many of us learned so much in 2020. I, I feel like I've grown exponentially because of that challenge. Um, so when, when you were living in places like... Should I call like you George Washington or what? Yes, sir. <laughs> I'm cooler. I'm cooler than George. I got the Italian. All right, then. All right. All right. The Italian charisma. So, um, when you were when you were living, I want to just touch on faith a little bit, and um, you know, now you're at a certain season in, in your life and in, in your career and, and in your mission. Uh, but when you were younger and you were living in places like L.A. and you were a gladiator, you were a rock star in, in your field. How did you manage the distractions? How how did you stay focused in the midst of all that chaos? Because a place like LA is full of temptation, full of potential distractions. And for you to be functioning as a champion, as a gladiator at that level, you need tremendous focus. How how did you keep your focus? Now, in in the city of Los Angeles, uh, they call it the city of angels, don't they? You heard that? Yes, yes. But most people don't realize that these are fallen angels. And if you're not careful, you get caught up in something that you can't get out. And a lot of people who go and seek fame and fortune, they get caught up in it. And the question that hits the table, what will a man or a woman give in exchange for their soul? And you see a lot of people doing that. And they do that for a very fleeting thing called fame, money, and power. It's only for a season. Only for a season. And some people, they don't care. And so I was thrown into that. And the temptations were there. And a lot of the temptations, the first temptation come is the women. That's the first. And the second is money. Or because uh, if you got money, then the women will come. If you have fame, they want to be around you. They want to be associated. Probably they men and women. Say, oh yeah, I was just trying to be traditional. You see, no, but, in the uh, sense, uh, in the sense that even your friends, when when you're successful, famous, uh, wealthy, you know, you, you're gonna acquire a lot of friends, you know, as well. That's what I meant. No, those are not friends. See, people make a mistake. Those are associates. Those are associates. Friends stick closer than brothers do. True friends. And in true friends, you can count on your hand. And <laughs> That's for sure. What's wrong? <laughs> that, that, that is for sure. But see, but most, see, you but find most out people, in hard times who your true friends are. Yes. See, and see... Hard times, uh, we'll call it, they are a development period. You are developing in hard times. And see, at the University of Southern California, as uh, conservative as it was, I learned a great deal from that university, a great deal. They have a, a, a saying, a modicum, or, or, or a model, and that's called fight on. See, most people who go there, most of the people, the students who go there, they don't even know what it means. Fight on means is when, when your back is up against the wall, you still fight. 
Fight on means if you only have a penny in your pocket, you still fight. Fight on means if everybody's against you, you still fight. Fight on. And those who truly understand that, they will fight on. Because, because they've heard the story of the footprints in the sand. They've heard the story about the next blow. They've heard the story if you take the next step. So they've heard that story. So they fight on. When I met you, Sergio, I wanted you to fight on. I wanted you to develop as the person that you were supposed to be. When I met you, I wanted you to be that unique person that God had made you to be. There's no one else like you. I am an observer. That's all I am. I observe. And I observed you that you're day. Gr- you're a great man. You're a great man. Well, uh, uh, based on my definition, yes, I've gone through a lot of trial. Yes, I've, I've suffered a great deal. Yes. <laughs> See, but it was, it was uh, uh, my lot to bear. Say, all the things that I went through, all of that was preparing me. So when I met you at that same place doing a documentary, look at it. You would just finish a movie and we were doing a movie. <laughs> and we met together, oversaw a bowl of oatmeal. You never know what happens with a bowl of oatmeal. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like a book. <laughs> I like it. I like it. It is. Mm-hmm. Based based on oh, go your ahead. Faith, Ask your next question. This, I, mm-hmm. I'm going to ask you this. No, it's tied into to what you're saying. Um, mm-hmm. Based on your faith, what you believe, mm-hmm. what you've been through, mm-hmm. do you believe in coincidence or predestination? And where does personal choice fit into that? Oh, personal choice. Uh, okay, let's start with personal choice. I have the ability to make a decision. And the decision was made on informed information. A lot of people think that, you know, this is my idea, this is that. It's not. You gather information and you, you look at that information. You examine that information. Is there any truth to that information? And how does that information apply to me? When I was younger, I knew I was special. And everybody look at the, the, the fact that that uh, I had an exceptional uh, athletic career. Uh, they look at things that has been accomplished, and then uh, then there's the so-called uh, in a the movie they have what they call a protagonist and a what's the other word they use? Uh, uh, antagonist. 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 Yes. Okay, that's, yes. that's a good copy. That's a good story. So we have God on one side and we have the devil, the anti antagonist, and they're fighting. And so you have that played out. I came from, from the study of the protagonist. And throughout my life, with all the challenges that I had, being a, we'll say, a black man growing up in America, it's a challenge. It is a challenge. And you got to deal with all types of things. And the sad thing about it is everybody benefits off of black people except black people. People come from all over the world and get the benefits 
that black people have fought for since the day that they came out, since since 1619. And I have to, and I have to deal with that. I have to be wise enough to do that. And I can't do that without God's help. You know, if God hadn't been on my side, I would have been dead a long time ago. Did did faith uh, play a big role throughout your professional career as a football player? Yes, it did. Or did it did it ebb and flow? Was it in and out, or was it consistent? It always played a uh, uh, a major role, but it ebbed and flowed. What I mean by ebb and flow, uh, when it was ebbing, is because I thought I was doing it. Right. When it was ebbing, is because. I thought I was the epitome of strength. When it was ebb, ebbing is because I was speaking French and I thought it was me, 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 me. And so uh, I ran into some trials. And then one day, one day, my friend, I was at the, much like you, I was at the, the apex of my career in Philadelphia. Uh, I was the best at my profession. I didn't say that. They said that. True. They made me the rookie of the year. They made me the the all pro. They made me the Pro Bowl player. They were doing documentaries and they were doing interviews about me. They did that. And so a lot of times you get caught up in that. And as you get caught up in that, that's when you get blindsided. That's when you get uh, knocked to your knees. And so I'm, I was, uh, we'll say, living the life of Riley, so to speak. I was in Philadelphia enjoying uh, myself, enjoying the creature comforts of life. I was an entertainer. And just like that movie, The Gladiator, it says, the guy told him, if you win the crowd, You'll win your freedom. And that's all I was ever looking for, was to be free. Wow. It's a fascinating perspective. The the idea of, you know, fighting, working towards your freedom and the way you articulate your role in sports and what sports truly is. Uh, when I've heard you talk about that, you shared that with me. Um, it's just, it's fascinating. You know, it brings a wisdom to it and, and a maturity that, Maybe a lot of young players or even young kids growing up wanting to be sports stars maybe don't understand that. No, they don't because because they're not supposed to understand it. All those gladiators in that movie, The Gladiator, all of them didn't understand that, what, what the guy told me. All of them didn't get the opportunity. All of them didn't go into the big house. All of them didn't, uh, uh, their... We'll call that, what's that guy named, uh, uh, who was a gladiator himself, and now he was had gladiators, and he was running uh, a gladiator farm, a school. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. He saw the potential in, in him. As a gladiator, or you, you referred to yourself as an entertainer, did you always understand that, even at that age, when you were young and, and getting caught up in, in the you know, and the fame and the, all the excitement that comes around with it. Did you understand your place in that at that time? Or is that something you figured out later on? You get that with time, with knowledge and with experience. You see, back in the, uh, 
the early days when the United States was basically an agrarian uh, society and uh, you have a young promising bull. And what the farmer would do was take that young promising bull and connect him with an experienced bull. So this experienced bull will train the young bull. And a lot of times they do that in 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 football. They get a, a promising quarterback and they have an experienced quarterback coming to the end of his of his career. But physically he's he's not as as strong as he was before, but mentally he's he's even sharper. But so they put them together. They brain that one and have him be trained. And just like, uh, we'll call it Steve Young and Joe Montana, just like Brett Farr and, and, uh, uh, what's Roger? What's his name at Green Bay? What's that guy's name? That quarterback for the Green Bay Packers, Aaron Rodgers, just like he was trained under, under, uh, uh, that great quarterback number four who who played for the Green Bay Packers and who didn't want to give up. He he wanted to continue to play, just like Joe did. And said, so, but but everybody that came after them, uh they trained, became Hall of Famers too. And that's that principle. There's something powerful about prox- proximity, who you surround yourself with. Yes, it is. They used to say birds of a feather flock together. Right. And iron sharpens iron. If you want to be great, hang around with great people. You become what you eat, you become what you read, and you become what you do. It's amazing. It puts a lot of responsibility on ourselves to make proper choices. Well, in order to make proper choices, you must have information, knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. And in, in, uh, since we're talking about faith, in the in the uh the book of proverbs that's in the bible it's the book of wisdom and you'll learn a, a great many things in there you if those people who are looking for a long life and length of days it tells you what you have to do it tells you how to get wisdom it instructs you uh, uh, on the cares of this life it helps guide you <clears throat> And uh, uh, like I said, I made a mis- I made a mistake. I went to class. <laughs> this is one of the classes I went to, and I began to study. But I I failed to uh, to mention to you, I had the greatest parents in the world. I did. My mother and father. I should say my father and my mother. I'm gonna tell you something that you may not understand when I say this. And most of those people who hear this will not understand, but I'm going to say it anyway. My father was in the drug business, and he was very good at what he did. Now, before you start forming opinions in your mind, hear me out. My father drug us to Sunday school. My father drug us to church. My father drug us to afternoon service. My father drug us to night service. My father was in the drug business and he was very good. He drug us to 
where we will be able to understand what faith is, understand where our strength comes from, understand that my father did that. And so I had the greatest father and mother in the world, in my estimation, and in an environment that was not conducive for us. You're an incredible, you're an incredible mentor and teacher to me and, and many others. And um, you founded the Environmental Learning Center for At-Risk Men. How important do you think your role is now as a mentor and for young, you know, up-and-coming uh, individuals to have that, that guidance and mentorship? Maybe they don't have a great father or a mentor in their life. So um, how important do you think that is to, to young men growing up now? that you mentor? It is so important that they systematically design it where the fathers are not there. So you're taking me too deep. I'm, I'm going down there. I need a, a pressure suit on now. You're taking me too deep. <laughs> but let me tell you where the environmental center came from. Somebody did a movie and you're familiar with it. See, because people who who do movies are creative genius, just much like you. This particular individual did a movie called Trading Places. Have you heard that movie? Yes. Have you seen that movie? Yes. It's been a while. Well, it's still good. Those are classic. The narrative of that movie is this. You take two individuals from different environments and give them what they need and you see how they survive and how they do. So in this movie, these two Wall Street mega investors, they have this, this, this uh, investment house. It's been on Wall Street for hundreds of years. And because they make so much money, they got time to reflect, time to, to meditate, time to do that because they don't have to worry about the bills being paid. They don't have to worry about this getting done or that getting done. So they did an, an, an experiment and they did an environmental experiment. We call it an environmental learning center. And they took two guys. They took a guy that was on the street, which was played by Eddie Murphy. Mm -hmm. And they took a guy, uh, I think it was Dan Aykroyd, played as a up and coming genius in the Wall Street business, switched them and see how they would survive. And the guy on the street, we'll call him the hustler, the thinker, excelled. And the guy that would had all the, the, the creature comforts of life, mm -hmm. take all those things away, and he crumbled like a Kmart deck chair. And so I said, wow. So if you change the environment, you change the people. That's brilliant. No, I didn't come up with it. I just watched it. I told you I'm an observer. And so don't get me mixed up with all these other geniuses. Don't get me mixed up with that. I'm just an observer. And I observe. And as I observe, and I said to myself, you know, we had a conversation. And I said, if you take black people and you change their environment and you give them what they need, they will excel. They will become the genius that they were meant to be. See, a lot of people and say in this country, they say, well, you got to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. 
So they failed to realize when we came over here, we didn't have any boots. We didn't have any clothes. We came naked. And and all of this was there. So I try to do uh, my little part. I'm only uh, uh, a person that run in a race. And just like the Olympics was, uh, and you saw the, the Olympic races and stuff like that, and everybody waits for the relay and the importance of the relay, you take that baton and you pass it to the next person. I'm passing that baton to you. Well, you're a great, great inspiration to, to many. And what, how, how do you, when you're working with these at risk young men, uh, or just people in general, um, how do you currently define success now that you've, you know, when we're on our Instagram and Facebook to us, success is like, wow, you know, that, that dude won, you know, championship or won the, the you know, the, the pinnacle of success is the Rolls Royce or the Rolex watch or whatever they, whatever the thing is at this stage in your life, how do you, how do you define success and, and how do you teach that to these kids growing up now? I don't, uh, uh, so-called teach kids. Parents do that. You teach, you teach the teachers. Everybody doesn't identify with me, Sergio. And look at me. Look how I look. A handsome, good looking man <laughs> sitting up, relaxed, got headphones on, wearing glasses, and got this little beard, white beard with some uh, little black in it. All of that. Everybody doesn't identify with me. I don't have spike hair. I don't have earrings. I don't have tattoos. Those people, they may not agree with me. My message is not for them. My message is for those who want to do better. That's all. And those who want to do better, they will hear. Those who have ears to hear, they will hear. Those who don't, they won't. See, I'm like this guy called Johnny Appleseed. You don't know about Johnny Appleseed being from Canada and stuff. You don't know about Johnny Appleseed. They, it was a mythical figure. And this mythical figure, as they told, as the narrative goes, as the story goes, he would go, and I think it was back in, in the Pennsylvania area and going west, and he would go and he would take these apple seeds, and everywhere he'd go, he would spread these apple seeds. And the apple seeds, some of them got ate up by birds. Some fell on hard ground and got trampled. Some fell in, in, we'll call it some stony grounds. And when the sun came up and everything was good, they shot up. But as soon as it got rough, they, they withered. But then there were those that fell on good soil and they began to germinate and they began to grow. And as they grew, this tree came off from this one seed. And off of that one seed came, we'll say a hundred apples. And in each of these apples was, we'll say, 10 seeds. And he says, why do you do that? And he would reply, because the doctors told me an apple a day keeps the doctor away. And I want to keep those doctors away. <laughs> See, but that. he failed, he failed to, to mention to, to the other people that one seed, and he asked, he asked the reporter, what do you see? And the guy looked at it and he's being philosophical. He said, I see a, a seed. And he said, look harder. And he said, I see an apple seed. And he said, look harder. Then he waxing intellectual. He says, I see uh, a tree. And he says, that's brilliant. But let me tell you what you did not see. 
Yes, it is a tree. See, but what you did not see was on that tree there was another hundred apples. And what you did not see in each one of those apples, there was another ten seeds. And each one of those seeds was a tree. And each one of those was a hundred apples. So what you did not see was that orchard. What you did not see was that uh, that employment. What you did not see was that business. What you did not see was that import-export business from that one seed. That's an idea. And that's what you call legacy. Yes. I don't know what they call it. They call it, Some people call it employment. <laughs> <laughs> see, the state of Washington has a lot of apples. They call them uh, golden delicious apples and, and Washington delicious apples. And they take those apples and they sell them all over the world. And, they, and, and that's a business. That's an import-export business. Just like you. <laughs> you take your ideas and you put them, you put them and they grow up. Some of your ideas fall on hard ground. Some of them uh, fall in, in, in stony ground and some fall on good soil. And then they just, they replicate. That is true. You can't, you can't even predict which ones are going to grow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I want to ask you, uh, you know, there's a lot of talk now about financial literacy and how important it is to teach that to, to young kids or, or youth growing up. It's something I never learned in school is, you know, my relationship to money. How do you teach that to, to the next generation, our relationship to money and what abundance really means? Look what you're taking me. You're taking me to Oxford now. <laughs> now, what is money? You have to define that. What is it? Well, it's, I'm waiting. You, what is money? It's a, it's a symbol. It's a symbol and a tool, really. Um, I think... I think we get obsessed with it and, uh, you know, make more of it than it actually is. But, uh, but it, you know, essentially it's a symbol. Okay. Money is a means of exchange. That's all it is. A means of exchange. You got to have some business. You got to know about accounting. So you got, so you take accounting classes. You got to know how about managing that. So you got to take, uh, say some management classes. You got to know a little bit about people, so you got to take some psychology classes, and you have to be able to to get your message across. So you got to be able to take some speech classes, mm-hmm. and then from a psychological standpoint and a mental standpoint, you have to be persuasive. And so with all those together, then you can you can sell. And what they do, they can make money. And what they do is cut it up and have specialization and people specialize in each one of those. And so then what you do is if you don't have those skills, you hire someone that do, or you collaborate with someone who does. How do you relate it to, to sports? Like how, how does a, a, you know, a young guy working his way up, you know, he gets offered 20 million a year. Like how do you rationalize that? It's to a young person that might be like an unthinkable for, you know, NBA player or whatever, getting that kind of money. I mean, how, how does one rationalize that? And then how do you process that as a, as a young person? I mean, it's, it's like the world is telling you you're, you're worth 20 million. Actually, you don't know what you're worth. Somebody else put the figure on you. You see, uh, that's why it's good to have good counsel. See, all kings, all kings have counsel. All president have a cabinet. 
all uh CEOs have have their uh their officers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They don't know everything. They don't have the skill and everything. And I'm glad you brought that up. Because they always say a lot of people, they now, the infamous they, they say who are they? <laughs> we'll call they is um the antagonist. Okay, they always say. Uh here this guy, he goes and he makes X amount of uh, X amount of dollars, and he finishes playing, and in five years, ten years, he's broke. That's what they say. Now let's look at that. Let's examine that. When a when a young fellow first comes out, uh, he's we'll say he went to, to the university. Yep. And he majored. Understand this. He majored in football or basketball. That was his major. Mm-hmm. And he minored in what? PR, uh, public relations, journalism, sociology. Those are minors. He's majoring in football. And he's just like a doctor. A doctor majors in medicine. And, and for a long period of time, they used to say, you know, uh, doctors go and, and they're the first one to go into bankruptcy because they focused in on their medicine. They don't focus in the business aspect of it. Just True. like you had the audacity to insult my intelligence by saying you didn't do it. I had to stop you. I had to stop you. That wasn't your emphasis. And so you hire people that do that. Accountants, managers, and lawyers. See the, see the lawyers keep you from losing all your, uh, we'll call it intellectual properties. All your images mm-hmm. and all your likenesses, because because if you don't have a lawyer, the first thing they do is get you by saying, "Have you signed this agreement?" And and most of the people they sign an agreement, they don't even read it. In the small print, it's saying that I will control all of your money, and based on they put they throw in a morals clause, and they throw in this that says uh, if anything that you do is unbecoming, we have the right to end this contract and to get all our money back that we gave you, even after you gave the service. And and wow. and we have control of your likeness and everything you do in perpetuity. Did you know what that word perpetuity means? <laughs> Forever and ever. You can you can live a hundred years. You can live a hundred years times 10 and still come back and they still own that. And so, and so here, this entertainer who majored in this as a young individual who's a one percenter in the people who can do that, who have that ability, you don't get to that level without being great. In little league, you were great. In high school, you were great. In college, you were great. And in, and in professional, every professional player is a great individual. That's right. They wouldn't have made it if they wasn't great because all of those levels were levels of elimination. See, see, Sergio, I'm telling you some stuff right now that, uh, uh, when people listen to this thing, they will learn a great deal. No, I appreciate that, man. I have one last question. I mean, I could talk to you all day because I learn so much every time we speak. Um, but I want to, I want to ask you one last question, um, and go back in the time machine a bit. 
Because, you know, I, I imagine there's going to be a no, lot no, of... No, 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 Sergio. Un momento. It's not a time machine. <laughs> it's a way back machine. Way back, okay. way back. A way back machine. Okay. Way back. So I imagine there's going to be some young emerging artists out there listening, looking for that the words of wisdom. And um, what was what was your mindset every time you'd step on that field to be able to function and perform at a peak level, whether it was raining, snowing, you know, bad day in the locker room, coach said something. There was all those all those things that could potentially take you off your game. Did you have a mantra? Did you have something like what was that switch that would go off every time you go on that field to, for you to be able to perform at that level? And what words of wisdom can you share with with a young artist who has to, if you want to peak perform, you know, obviously we, you know, every artist has to find it for themselves. But if you can just share a little bit of that, that look that you had in your eye, that 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 determination, what was that, and where did it come from? I told you, you're taking me deep, Dave. <laughs> All right. There's a couple of things. I'm going to the Bible when I asked a question. Uh, Isaiah, the 40th chapter, the 28th verse, from the King James Version. I understand. You asked me this question. When you asked me the question, I told you you were going deep. And so since you opened the door, I will tell you. It goes, Has thou not known, has thou not heard, that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creators of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is he weary. There is no searching of his understanding. He giveth power to the faint, and to them that have no might, he increases strength, and it says, Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. And so I went out and I participate. I saw myself as being the best. I saw myself as being a great individual. I saw myself that the only thing that could stop me was me. And so when I was younger, I asked the question. And the question was, who motivates the motivator? It's a great question. Who motivates all these guys who go up and motivates all the other people? Where do they get their information? Where do they get their inspiration from? Then I looked up the word inspiration. And they say that inspiration is a Greek word. And it means, if you really look it up, it has about 12 different meanings. And the first four, everybody gravitates to that. So they missed the five, six, seven, and eight, where it says, the breath of life, where it says to breathe. They missed that part. And they missed the part, as the Bible goes, when God created man, he was just out of clay. He was just laying there. And then he breathed the breath of life into him, and he became a living soul and began to move. Hence, we get the word 
motivation. So, so it is the spirit that dwells in you that motivates you. So you forced me to go deep, Sergio, and I was going to do just surface stuff. <laughs> I appreciate, appreciate you going deep and it's beautiful. Inspire to breathe. Uh, the origins of that word you know, in Italian, respire, it's like breath. The other thing you said that struck me is, is the action piece because, you know, they say knowledge is power, but without taking action, they're just words. So, no, you, you're uh, you're an incredible inspiration. No, 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 it's not I. See, all this it was is gathered information. You see, when I was playing uh, uh, football, I was playing for a coach. His name is Chuck Knox. Chuck Knox played for, the, he was coaching for the Los Angeles Rams when I first encountered him. I, I encountered him at the apex of my career. Every time I made the Pro Bowl, he was the coach. Wow. Wow. And he sought to get me until the very last team that I played for. See, when I was with Philadelphia, I, I played for him in the Pro Bowl. And then when I went through my challenges, I went to him with the Rams. Wow. And then when he was dismissed from the Rams and went to Buffalo, he tried to get me in Buffalo. And I asked him the question. I said, uh, Chuck, when we were in Los Angeles, you didn't even play me then. And he told me, he says, Charlie, I wasn't in control. I wasn't in control. You see, but I wasn't meant to be with him then. And so from there, I went to San Francisco. And San Francisco uh, went to their first Super Bowl in the history. It laid the foundation. And people became geniuses and people became uh, fantastic. People became all pro and all of that type of stuff. And those same people, they, uh, they have an award there. And those same people, uh, they nominated me for the most inspiration and the most courageous player that year. And so I dealt with that. But this individual, my, my, at this time, I had 10 years in the league, and there was a, uh, we'll say, a difference of opinion. And we decided to, we agreed to disagree. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I went to Seattle. That's why it's important for you to understand that you do not burn bridges because you may have to travel that bridge again. And so two out of the, my first three coaches was in Seattle. They gave me a call and said, Charlie, you want to come up here? And my first coach, which was Mike McCormick, and out of all the coaches I had, I looked at him as being my best coach. Why was this? Because he allowed me to be me. And when a person allowed you to be you, you give them the best that you have. And I gave him the best. But anyway, this Chuck Knox said this. What you do speaks so well, I need not hear what you say. In other words, he was saying, action speaks louder than words. That's what he was saying. And so my actions spoke volumes. In your research, as best as you could, you would have seen that 
I was a champion in Little League. Mm-hmm. I was a champion in Babe Ruth. I was a champion in high school. I was a champion in uh, uh, college. In multiple sports, not just football. In basketball, baseball, football. It's incredible. But we're not going deep. We're hitting surfaces. Hitting the surface. <laughs> you know, see, see, see. I already had to put the scuba diving stuff on, and then you wanted to go deeper, and so I had to put on the. the Sorry to interrupt. What they call those the, the divers. So I had to put all that stuff on. And I put that on, Sergio, because you, as I told you before, you are worth it. Thank you, man. Appreciate it. It's so good to see you, man. It's uh, It's been a while. It's been a while. But uh, as always, I'm so eternally grateful to you and for the light you bring in the world. And, and you truly are the purveyor of hope. And uh, I really, really appreciate you taking the time and, and coming on and, and speaking with us today. Thank you, Sergio, and and have the people to tune in. And by the way, I told you I enjoyed that Cuban and the thought pattern and, and the, and the uh, narrative behind that. Thank you. See, a lot of times we forget who we are and with all the stuff going on. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we have to go and back into the Wayback Machine. And as the character, the uh, the character, he was having some challenges. But when he got back into that Wayback Machine, he came alive. You see, and I thought that was brilliant. Thank you. A lot of times, just like Simba, just like Simba, he for, sometimes he forget who we are. And sometimes you have to reflect. And this period of what we call the pandemic, gives us opportunity to reflect. That's all it is. It slows you down so you can think. But anyway, uh, uh, Sergio, it has been a pleasure. I want to say thank you. Charlie, it's an honor, man. Thank you. All right. Thank uh, you, brother. The pleasure is mine.